Good morning, my name is Reagan Gill, and I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lover's Lane. And together with my, hot, with my husband, Scott, we uh, pastor this service called Thrive. Um, he is at home with the kids today, and then I got to come in and work on Mother's Day. I don't know how that, how that happened. Um, but I'm, I'm glad to be here as we are in a wonderful sermon series called Become the Gospel. And today we're going to be talking about, about grace. Uh, but first, before we start, I wanted to... Um, say one thing that, um, as it is Mother's Day, I wanted to talk about someone real briefly um, named Rachel Held Evans. Many of you may know who she is. She's one of the most gifted writers, um, speakers, just a prophet, really. And this past Monday was um, actually a year anniversary of her passing. And the reason I bring her up is that she has been such an amazing spiritual mother to so many people. Maybe you're watching right now and you've had a weird relationship with the church and have had wounds from the church and maybe thought like, well, I have a lot of questions um, about faith and God. Can, do I still have a place? And I would really, really recommend you picking up any of her books. Um, I know that she has healed so many people. She has made space for questions, hard questions. And so I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful for the way that she has impacted so many people and really um, brought people um, to the love of Jesus Christ. And so I just wanted to say that, as I know many of us uh, kind of were, were grieving that year anniversary of that. Um, so today, again, we're, we're talking about grace, and I'm going to be looking really at three verses, just three. And, you know, I, I love Scripture because it is amazing what one line, what one word can really mean. And it's amazing that as many times as I've read this story that we're going to read this morning, as many times as I've read it, I found something new. And that is what Scripture does. Scripture is alive, and where we are and when we come and read it time and time again, we'll find that there's something different and brand new and something that can to teach us and grow us in new ways. And so uh, for many of you, this, this story may be very familiar. It's a pretty common one. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you probably have heard things, you know, alluded to it, um, or you've seen a really awesome picture of Jesus with children, <laughs> and so that is the story we're going to be looking at. And so uh, if you have your Bibles or if you got it on your phone, of course it's going to appear, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15, which says this. One day, some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could lay his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. But Jesus said, let the children come to me. Don't stop them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. And he placed his hands on their heads and blessed them before he left. So this story, again, three verses. That's it. But one thing that you have to know when you look at this scripture, as simple as it seems, is you have to understand how children were viewed at this time. Maybe you know about this culture, maybe you know about this time, or maybe you've heard a sermon about this before, but children were really not viewed great at this time. They really weren't important. They didn't really have value because they couldn't really contribute much, especially when they're really young. I mean, what, what could they offer at that time was their thinking. Until they could really start working and contributing or being married off and getting dowries and different things like that, 
children were kind of seen as a nuisance. They were the low class. I know for sure that parents of biblical times did not invent participation trophy. I can guarantee that. I'm sure if we were to go back in time and tell parents at this time, like, so we're going to give trophies to kids just for being kids. They would say, that's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. Like, they should give us a trophy. And so I think parents just in society, they just had a really weird view of children. But really, it, it wasn't good. And so as you know that, you can figure out that the disciples, no wonder they were kind of annoyed that children were to come and interrupt Jesus. Of all people, Jesus, they thought they could come talk to someone like Jesus, that they could have a moment, that they could have a time with someone like Jesus. It's kids. They're gross. They don't want to be bothered. So the disciples shooed them away like the annoying June bugs we have here. And then Jesus acts very opposite. We find that Jesus rebukes them. He scolds his disciples, basically. How dare you prevent children from coming to spend time with me, to speak with me? How dare you push them away? In today's terms, if the disciples were on a Zoom call, a work call, and their kids came in the room, they'd be hitting the hide video and mute button so fast, right? Jesus would pull the kid right up on their lap and say, guess the kid's going to be in the Zoom call with me today. We've all been there probably the last few weeks. Your kid walks in the room and you don't want your, uh, your team, your staff to know that you have such a mean look that you <laughs> give to your kids. So you're like, let's hide that video. But I love that Jesus is like, no, no, bring them to me. I notice when I look deeper, when I think about this moment, when Jesus is, is maybe teaching or really deep in thought, and these kids come, that he's not distracted. He's not thrown off. He's not annoyed at these children. And kids are a mess. Again, they're a mess. They probably had sticky hands because somehow kids always have gross, sticky hands. I don't know what that is. They probably didn't smell great. I think about how my daughter can smell after just a casual, leisurely bike ride around our neighborhood. Think about these kids that hadn't had a bath in days, weeks, maybe months. And even if they did, they weren't bathing with Mr. Bubbles' bubble bath. I mean, just themselves, they were literally dirty and gross. So I want you to picture maybe your favorite professor or um, speaker or world leader and think about how they would have reacted if a group of gross, you know, Kids just came and interrupted something. How do you think they would have reacted? And then there's Jesus. So if you have been with us for very long, you know that Scott and I talk about how it's really important when you read Scripture to know what comes before and what comes after, what is around the story, because that can tell a lot more. That can maybe tell a fuller story, or maybe it shows why something is so significant, why it's placed somewhere. So I'm going to be honest, the rest of 19 is pretty harsh. There's some pretty difficult teachings. So the one right before, if you have your Bible still open or if you want to scroll up, Jesus is talking about divorce, which I'm not going to get into that. But if you were to look at it at first glance, you think, gosh, this is, this is pretty harsh. 
This is a pretty high demand. It seems very, I don't black and white. It's rigorous. It's this difficult sort of expectation. This is a weird side of Jesus. I, I don't see that with the children. So what's going on here? And then when you move after, it's another well-known story of a rich man asking, basically, what is it? What do I have to do to get into heaven? What makes me faithful? What makes me a good um, follower of God? And Jesus goes through things, and then he says, you need to sell your things and give the money to poor, to the poor. That's pretty harsh, right? Because I know when I think about my life personally, I think, okay, if I have to sell everything I have and give to the poor, well, I'm not doing that. I can think about my house right now. I have a garage that I can't put my cars in because I have so much stuff. I'm not faithful. I'm not, I'm not good. And so I look at, at those two stories that bookend the story about children, and it's so intimidating. It's so daunting because I feel like, gosh, I'm not obedient. I don't think I could live like this. And so we, we kind of make this imaginary mark that's up here. In order to be faithful, in order to be um, a real, true Christ follower, you have to hit this mark. You have to be up here all the time. You have to be 100% A+, plus, meeting the quota, no mistakes, no hiccups right here. You have to be perfect because if you drop down, that's not good enough. If you're not first, you're last, as Ricky Bobby says, right? And Christ expects us to be first. We have to be winners. We are called to be champions. Failures? No, he doesn't have time for that. So this is why this story of children is so interesting to me because when I think of children, when I think of kids, when I think of teenagers, especially toddlers, what do they do all the time? And kids, hear me out if you're watching. Kids, teenagers, toddlers toddlers are constantly making mistakes. Constantly. All the time. They mess up all the time. They say the wrong thing at the wrong time. When they're learning to count, they leave out 14. They make literal messes. They ruin our furniture. They destroy our cars. They cut their own hair. They, I mean, the list goes on and on. As they get older, they lie. They, maybe they hide their grades. They sneak out of the house. They break up with their boyfriend and girlfriend through a text rather than doing face-to-face. They avoid. They, they hurt people. They, I mean, they're making mistakes all the time, and you think, oh my gosh. (laughs) And then you think, Jesus is saying, be like them? Be like them? No, Jesus, you have high expectations for us. There's no room for error. We can't make mistakes. Why would we want to be like children? They're the ones that get it wrong all the time. If we want to be people of faith, we've got to get it right all the time. All the time. See, the story of Jesus blessing the children, the ones who make mistakes, disrupts my view that Jesus is very black and white. The love and the care and the time he gives to children teaches me that Jesus is not so focused and obsessed with the right choice all the time. There are a few things which we'll get to, but Jesus leaves room for air. Jesus leaves room for air. Jesus makes time for air. Jesus welcomes the disruptions. 
Jesus welcomes the mess. Jesus welcomes the mistakes. See, we can't look at a handful of stories about Jesus where he's giving this strong commandment. It seems so black and white and only fixate on that and make up our mind about who Jesus is. That isn't the whole picture of who Jesus is. Because when we look at the stories that are so black and white, we leave out grace. We leave out grace. And we all need grace. Why I know that Jesus won his grace, because I, I, if you read more of the gospel, you're going to see that more and more. You're going to see things that are like, well, that doesn't make sense. There's all these sheep, and you go and get the one? Why would you do that? That's grace. Love our enemies? Grace. Give our coat to someone. Go walk with someone. Um, talk to someone when you're having disagreement. Go to that person one-on-one. Talk to them. I mean, we could go through story after story where Jesus is always giving grace. Unfortunately, so often, so many of us have been taught that Jesus has just so many rules and that's one strike, you're out. If you have one little mistake, or maybe you don't believe fully this thing, you have this one thing about yourself, then you're disqualified. And so what happens is that so many people that grow up in the church leave it. Or those that come and try it out when they're older, they think, oh gosh, I guess I don't belong here. I'm not hitting this mark. I'm down here. This is where I live. I'm not here, so I guess I don't belong. The church at times has done a really poor job at giving the whole picture of who God is. And so I need a God that doesn't push me away when I come in disrupting, messy, inconveniencing, dragging all my junk with me. I need a God that stops and is fully with me. And I feel like that's what's happening in this story with the children. So they can bring all their stuff and Jesus says, bring it. Bring it. I love that Jesus is never inconvenienced by us. He's never inconvenienced by us. And so when we start to feel like we're too much, we're too much trouble, or we have too much junk or, or whatever, no. <laughs> Jesus has room for your mess. We're not disrupting. We're not ruining things. You know, if Jesus was so annoyed with us, if Jesus was so taken back by us, if he was so disgusted by us and so annoyed, do you think he would have come to live among us? To see, to touch and smell and hear the mess that we're in. The truth is God came as a person of Jesus Christ. He came into our mess, stepped fully into our mess. And I know maybe you're starting to think, well, Reagan, I wouldn't describe myself as a mess. I feel like I got my life together for the most part. I don't have any demons or skeletons. Like I feel like I, 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 got, I got my stuff together. And I say, I'm not really talking maybe about you individually or myself individually. Collectively, we're a mess. We are a mess. 
and we need so much help. We need grace and we need a lot of other things. I say that because uh, this week we were exposed to how much of a mess we are. As many of us saw this horrific video of a young black man, a Mataberry just jogging his daily jog and gunned down in the middle of the day for the color of his skin. The fact that it is 2020 and racism is still alive and well is ridiculous. It's ludicrous. I mean, there's a lot of words I could say, but I can't. We are in a mess because these are the kinds of things that happen. These are the kinds of things that we let happen. And you think, well, Reagan, I, I don't do that kind of stuff. I'm not, a, I love all people. I'm not a racist. But the problem is we have contributed in some sort of way, whether we want to admit to it or not. Yes, there's outright racism, but there's systemic racism that unfortunately we have participated in. And as much as it grieves me to know that, it's true. And I know I've talked maybe a little bit how things were black and white and maybe there's some gray area, but let me be clear what happened back in February. February and it's May and we're just now hearing about it was wrong. It was sin. It's racist. There's no way to get around it. And so when I think about that, you know, yes, God is a God of grace, but there are some things that God is pretty clear about that he will not stand for, and racism is one of them. There's no room for that. And so Jesus Christ came down into that kind of mess, things like racism to try to fix it and to help us and to expose us. I think when I look at the scripture, you know, there's a lot of things that maybe I'm a little not sure, but one thing I know for sure is that Jesus is pretty clear about how we're supposed to treat people. And what happened in February is not how we treat people. If you start to think that you are better than someone because of the color of your skin or that someone because of their color of skin is less than you, you need to check your heart. There's no excuse, there's no justifying this kind of behavior. And so, yeah, I'm, gra- I'm grateful for grace today because we don't get what we deserve. Knowing that kind of stuff happens and I can be part of it, I'm like, man, how does God give us grace time and time again when I feel like we haven't learned, when I feel like we haven't changed, when we haven't stopped these huge sins? I know if I was God, I feel like I probably would have given up on us by now. So it's interesting, this kid's story, I'm going to flip it. You know, the kids really are not the issue. The kids get it right because um, we're the ones getting it wrong. We're the ones, if you read, we're the the ones that don't know how to um, stay in good relationships. What All kinds of relationships. We break vows and covenants and relationships all the time. And we hold on to wealth and we don't care for the poor and we don't care for the oppressed. We need help, not the kids, because the kids, as many mistakes as they make, as many things as they do wrong, they're learning. Their brains haven't developed. Most likely they're going to grow out of those mistakes. But we, we know better. We know better. The kids, they don't. 
and they're going to learn and they're going to grow and they're going to change. What about us? In closing, I say this. Jesus absolutely has high expectations for us. Absolutely. And we need to be ridding ourselves of our mess, our sin, our bad behaviors. And if we claim to be followers of Christ every day, we need to be working on things so we can look more like Jesus Christ. Does Jesus stop and sit with us and give us grace? Yes, but you still have to do the hard work. You can't just throw your hands up and say, well, I have grace. You know, today I'm so thankful that, um, that we have both. I'm so thankful that I have a God that convicts me and presses me and exposes me and opens my eyes and pushes me on my thoughts and my actions and beliefs and says, Reagan, you have some stuff to work on. I'm so thankful that I have that God. Because of that, my faith can deepen and mature in a way that it can't without that side of God. But I'm also so grateful that Jesus gives us grace while we work. Again, we don't deserve it, but we have it. I wasn't sure really how to, to end this sermon knowing about some things I had to talk about today. Um, and really, I just want to say I, I'm thankful to God for his grace. I'm thankful that he hasn't given up on us. And I'm thankful that hopefully we are people that are wanting to grow and change and end things that hurt people with that I I just want to pray so would you pray with me God we know that you are a God of grace there's no way around that we see that we know that but I think some of us maybe live too much in that grace and don't want to look at ourselves and how we need to change and admit to things and ask for forgiveness We know that we get both. And that's a wonderful and beautiful thing. And we know that if we want to look more like your son, we do need to be grace-filled. To become the gospel, there's so many things we have to take on that are not easy to do. We're thankful that you have such a high calling on our life that seems like it's difficult and there's no way we can achieve it but you know, we know that you're with us. You believe in us. And that you are God that loves and forgives. God, it was a hard week. But I pray next week maybe is better. And the week after that. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for loving us despite the mess that we create. It's in your name we pray. Amen.